Now, Mike Broomhead, you said you're flying into the valley tomorrow. Yes. So I'm, you know, I would not be surprised if there are some delays because of the winds here in the valley. They're calling it an event. Yeah, Yeah. you're not making me feel No, I don't mean to freak you out or anything, but I mean, I'm sure the airlines are going to be able to call it, so make it safe for everybody, right? Yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm leaving tomorrow morning from from, uh, Newark Airport, and I'm supposed to direct flight into Phoenix, so I'm hoping that we're able to get there. You'll be here sooner or later. <laughs> you know, who knows? That wind may just usher you in a I mean, lot of you're right. I'm gonna, one way or another, I'm getting on the ground. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> That's going to happen. Yeah, two words you don't want to hear is wind event when you're on an airplane. Right. Right? Oh, thanks, Jamie. Uh, good morning, everyone. It is. Uh, I am in New York City. I am in Midtown Manhattan and uh, having a great time. It was cold and rainy this morning, 34 degrees and drizzling this morning, but it's a beautiful city. I love coming to New York. Was on CNN last night with Allison Camerata, going to be on again tonight. Um, just news of the day stuff. It was a lot of fun. Anytime I can kind of expand my horizons and do those things, I will. Um, it was fun, although I, if you do get a chance to watch it, they did avatars of everybody on the panel and I was angry. I don't, I don't, am I angry? Am I an angry person? Because uh, the avatar they made for me was angry. Everybody else got this really nice avatar that looked very pleasant. I looked like a drill sergeant. I look, first of all, I look like an old drill sergeant. I, that's what I looked like. Anyway, it, it's been a fun trip. And uh, one of the things that everybody was, has been talking about, and it was big news. I was watching uh, yesterday morning. Early was the trip the president made to Ukraine and with a, the uh, fallout from that, both politically at home and what people are saying about it. But there's one word you have to use, and that's historic. No president has done something like this before, gone into a war zone where U.S. troops were not to show a sign of solidarity with the Ukrainian people. And one of the conversations we had, we were having last night when talking about it on, on the television set was about, um, the messaging, because the president of the United States has said we've heard from people inside of the American government that we are running low on munitions and that we are depleting our supply. And I, I never underestimate the power of the enemy. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So the concern I have is not about us helping the Ukrainian people. There's a lot happening here, I think. I think there's a lot happening here as historians, especially military historians, look at things. There have been big questions about World War II especially, and I'm sure many other conflicts. But there was a big question about World War II and U.S. involvement. Would it have shortened the loss of life and the in, the duration of the war had the U.S. engaged earlier than when they were pulled into it by the attack of the Japanese at Pearl Harbor. And the military historians will tell you, looking at what Hitler did and not taking him very seriously at first and not thinking that there was that much power was a tactical mistake. But again, hindsight is twenty twenty. Is it being a Monday morning quarterback? The question here is about Vladimir Putin, A, his ability, and B, his desire. Um, I think just being the armchair historian of, you know, going back to 20, the 20th century, the late 20th century where I was alive and, you know, raised, Vladimir Putin was a part of the USSR. He was a part of the Soviet Union, and he wants those glory days back. There is, if you think about the U.S., had the U.S. lost that Cold War, 
if Ronald Reagan had not been victorious against Mikhail Gorbachev and the and the Cold War, what would the U.S. impression of Russia be of the USSR and anybody in leadership? Now, I was like I said before, I am the I am the quintessential '80s kid. I turned 18 in the middle of 1985. I mean, I'm right smack in the middle of the 1980s, and so I was just uh, one. You know, I couldn't vote for Reagan in the second term. I was 17, not 18 yet, so I just missed being able to vote for Ronald Reagan, but I grew up in that era when the patriotism was back and when we won the Cold War and, uh, you know, bring this wall down and all of these different things that happened for freedom around the world where America was seen as such. And um, to the, for the perspective of the Soviets, um, Vladimir Putin now in particular, it has got to be something they spent the rest of their lives trying to, to, to reverse. So there is nothing more he would like to see than the demise of the United States. And he knows that he can't do that on his own. Now, the Chinese and the competition we have in our economies, um, you know, who knows what they're up to? Again, I'm not a military expert, but I look at this situation and I think, what would the what would have happened if we had just sat back and allowed Russia to go into Ukraine? When I say the United States, I mean us, but NATO. If we had gone in and said, that's fine, you know, it's between you guys. You do what you have to do. Leave us out of it. As long as you don't go into Poland, do what you got to do. I think that China would have been emboldened about what they were going to do in Taiwan. But now what's happening, and this is just my speculation, is that I think that the Chinese are giving enough assistance to keep this going as we deplete our supply of munitions. I don't think we're going to have a war with China, but they still want Taiwan. Are we going to – are we able as a nation to fight wars on two fronts? Now, what I mean by that, even if it's just aid, we're giving military aid, we're giving equipment, we're giving ammunition, we're giving missiles, we're giving all kinds of things, tanks and armored vehicles – to the Ukrainian people, and it's depleting our supply that would help us, that would hinder us, I should say, in national defense. Are we then, what happens if the Chinese decide, all right, this goes on another six months or so, and we have seen the U.S. give over large amounts of what they have in reserve for military, we are going to waltz into Taiwan, what are they going to do? How, how much can they actually give up before they have nothing left? And so I don't put that past the Chinese. I don't. And, and one of the things that's interesting is if you notice the visit by the president was kept secret from everyone but Russia. They were warned. Russia does not want a head-to-head battle with us. The opportunity for Russia, if they wanted war with the U.S., if they believed that they had military superiority over the U.S., after all of the threats that they've leveled against any nation that helps the Ukrainians, they had an opportunity to make a you know a declaration of war for sure had they done something to the president. But they didn't. The Chinese, I, in my opinion, the Chinese didn't allow it and the Russians didn't do it. But Vladimir Putin would love to see the U.S. go down in flames. I believe he wants to take Ukraine. I think he needs to for their economy. They're a glorified gas station. They see that the world is moving toward a different type of energy. Eventually, we're going to get to solar and to wind, and we're going to get to the battery-operated electric vehicles that oil is going to be in less and less demand. And they're, they're a glorified gas station in, in Russia. So they've got to find a way to beef up their economy, and a lot of what they're going after in Ukraine are all of those areas that would do just that. So it is economic. 
But also, he would love to partner with the Iranians. He would love to partner with the Chinese and be a part of what takes the U.S. down. NATO has got to be a strong force, and it has been for a very long time. But a weakened U.S. is a weakened NATO. When you weaken the U.S., when you say when you have the president saying that we are depleting our sources. And again, I'm not advocating as much as I'm asking questions out loud when I hear information. If you're in a little bit, we're going to do this, but then we're not going to do that. Then we did that, but we're not going to do this other thing. Then we did the other thing, but we're not going to commit this. And if we're going to commit, then we should commit. Or is this part of a bigger strategy? Why are there? Why are we not going to give them F-16s? Why are we not going to give them air capability? We've given them so many other things that have been helpful. Why are we doing things incrementally like this? And I, again, I'm not criticizing. I don't have the answer to that question. The visit by the president, historic. You know, there are things as president of the United States, whether you like the guy or you don't. I'm not a fan of his politics at all. There's a lot that he says that I disagree with. I'm pretty vocal about it. But if you remember, there are things that the presidents do that are symbolic. When George W. Bush walked into Iraq and visited the troops for Thanksgiving, that surprise trip, when that place just went crazy when he walked in the doors. There was a morale boost there, but there was also there was a lot of symbolism there that an American president could make a trip into that country. That's how much control we had over that country. The message it sent to U.S. troops, the message it sent to the United States, but what it sent to the rest of the world. When Ronald Reagan was talking about the Polish people and uh, left Walensa and and uh, if you remember at the time the Pope was Polish and there was an alliance between the Pope and and the President and he put the candle in the window and said talked about the beacon of freedom and how we stood with the Polish people now that was symbolism there wasn't a whole lot behind that except symbolism but it was an important message to the rest of the world and especially to the Polish people and to the people in that part of the world and so there's a lot of symbolism here. You know, I don't have to agree with this president or like his politics to understand that the message was sent loud and clear to the world that the U.S. president took a train ride from Poland into Ukraine to send a message to the world and say, this is how this is how sold out this administration is to helping the Ukrainian people push back the Russians. Ultimately, ultimately, what will that mean? And that's that's just just a great question. I want to shift gears in a moment. A national story, an Arizona teacher, you're going to hear her exact words talking about the difference between what parents want their children to learn and what society needs them to learn and who gets to make that decision. We're going to do that coming up here in just a moment. KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Somehow live from New York, it's Tuesday morning, doesn't have the same ring to it. But yeah, I am in New York City, I'm here again tonight. I'll be back tomorrow morning um, as I'm here doing some shows with CNN and... um, they have invited me on. I was kind of the lone Republican on the panel yesterday. We'll see what happens tonight. It should be a lot of fun. I um, want to talk about education. It's a frequent topic. Governor Sanders in Arkansas 
has a new program for education in her state, and it sounds a lot like what Arizona has done. It's called Arkansas Learns. They started off with sweeping changes, giving teacher raises, but the interesting thing are the statistics that she's talking about it, how few children in their schools can read, and I think that is part of, by only 35% of third graders can read at grade level. Families are trapped in failing school districts, but parental choice programs are essentially non-existent. Like most states, we're dealing with a teacher shortage. It doesn't help that Arkansas currently offers some of the lowest teacher pay in the country. So Arkansas Learns is going to give teacher salary, bumping it up from $36,000 a year to $50,000 a year. But it also expands school choice. That starts by giving parents the choice to send their children to the school that best meets their needs. No matter where they live, no matter what, no matter their income, we're rolling out new education freedom accounts to allow families to enroll their kids in whatever school is most appropriate, whether it be public, private, parochial, or home school. Sound familiar? The critics say this will harm Public schools research shows the opposite when we empower parents to customize their child's education. Traditional public schools rise to the challenge and compete. If the local school district is the best option, which it will remain for most families, it won't lose any kids. Man, that sounds just like Arizona. I want you to hear why this has become important. This is an Arizona teacher, and this is also a national story, an Arizona teacher was speaking at the Senate Education Committee hearing last week, and uh, she her name is Alicia Messing. She's a special education teacher, and she has a master's degree, <clears throat> and she is qualified to be a teacher, and she doesn't think that parents who don't have a master's degree are, are capable. But it's what she says about what parents want versus what society needs. This is the key point. Listen to this comment. I have a master's degree because when I got certified, I was told I had to have a master's degree to be an Arizona certified teacher. We all have advanced degrees. What do the parents have? Are we vetting the backgrounds of our parents? Are we allowing the parents to choose the curriculum and the books that our children are going to read? I think that it's a mistake. I'm just speaking from the heart. Um, The one line that I love is, uh, we must remember that the purpose of public education is not to teach only what parents want their children to be taught. It is to teach them what society needs them to be taught. Now, that is the best commercial for school choice I've ever heard. If the Arizona public schools are going to continue with that, we are going to teach your children what society needs them to be taught, not what you want them to be taught. Parents will flee public education and go to different choices. But isn't it interesting that she talked about vetting parents? So I'm going to move on a limb here. Parents don't have master's degree. We should be vetting parents. How many kids does she have, I wonder? I wonder if anybody on the committee asked her how many children she had. You can't be an expert in children if you're not a parent, right? You can't have an opinion about children if you don't have children of your own, correct? Well, that's ridiculous. And when you're talking, especially at elementary education, you need a master's degree to be able to see what's in the curriculum that isn't appropriate for kids. This is what is what you're different than I am. 
See, believing that we're going to have school choice and what that means is all the schools are now going to choose to be these traditional academies that teach the STEM uh, subjects. And that's the only thing they're going to do is a fantasy. It's not going to happen. You will see schools and school districts that offer social emotional learning and critical race theory and and uh, making sure that they, um, you know, they're going to tell the parents. And this is one of the other stories. That a public school system uh, in St. I believe it's in St. Paul, Minnesota, they determine if names or gender pronouns would be patently offensive. So the St. Paul Public School District is deciding whether or not they're going to inform parents or whether or not they're going to call kids by their chosen pronouns. Again, it's a distraction. I'm sorry. It is a distraction. And when you're a kid. Anything that distracts you, do you want to march? Do you care about a protest? No, but it gets me out of class. I'm not sitting in math class. This was the best. That 41 seconds you just heard was the best advertisement for education choice in America. That should be played everywhere. I have a master's degree. What do parents have? Are we vetting the parents on what they're doing with their children? Do you understand how what an overreach that is? Because I guarantee you this, if one of these kids, any of these kids, commits a crime, that teacher's not responsible. If any of these kids can't ever read or write, and they end up living in their parents' home until they're 30 and 40 and 50 years old, That teacher's not going to be there. So you lay all the responsibility for a child's outcome and behavior on the parents. They're on the hook. But you get to decide what they're educated with, how they're educated, and what they're taught because society dictates. Now, if the schools want that, if you're a parent that wants that, that school should be available to you, no matter what your economic level. But if you don't want that, you shouldn't have to tolerate that, master's degree or not. I understand she's much smarter than me, that if I had a conversation with her, she better talk slowly and use small words. Because, you know, someone like me, it goes right over my head. I don't have a master's degree. The level of arrogance in that statement is scary. Are we vetting parents and what they're giving their children to read? Can you imagine that level of arrogance? Coming up in a moment, my buddy Gatos joins me. It's the Big Q poll question of the day, so stick around for it. The Gatos Big Q poll question brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, good morning, Gatos. Where the heck are you? New York City, Midtown Manhattan. How about New York City? That's fantastic. The Clampets take over New York. Oh, what are you going to do? Well, I'm I'm doing I'm I'm actually I was on CNN last night until midnight, and so then I came down here this morning to do the radio show a little uh, in Midtown, but still a few blocks away. And then I got to be back on CNN tonight, so I'm going to probably get some rest in the middle, go see some stuff down here. I may go head up to Times Square and check it out. I don't know, be a tourist. Yeah, I was up last night and uh, I saw you, and uh, I turned it off. I don't blame you. <laughs> the level, uh, the, the level of the level of envy, I imagine, is why you turned it off. Uh, you, do you know my rule about cable news? <laughs> what? I don't watch it. I mean, I think it's great that you're doing it. I just I don't watch any of it because I think 
I think they're there just to drive you crazy. Well, it was interesting because I was one of four panelists, and I was certainly on an island. You know, I'm sure but it was were. fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, Allison Camerata uh, does a great job. She was fun to talk with interesting topics. I just kind of like jumping into the belly of the beast. I had no idea what we were doing when I showed up. I didn't know any of the people on the panel. I had no idea what we were talking about. And it was fun. You get in a fight. Nah, not really. A little bit uh, off the air, not on the air so much. It was kind of a debate on the air, but off the air, a little bit of a, uh, you know, just a back and forth. Nothing angry, but, you know, just. You got got in a fight off the air? Yeah. That's awesome. Uh Flex? No, I didn't do that. All right. What'd you wear? I wore a suit. You wear a tie? Yes. All right, pretty good. You own it. They did. So listen, they did a thing about um, AI, you know, um, artificial intelligence, and they did avatars of every one of us on the dais. Mine was hilarious. Oh, geez. I look like an angry old drill sergeant. If you go and watch the clip, it's hilarious. That is funny. You got to post that, man. Well, I don't know if I'm going to post it, but if you see it, you might want to on your show. It's that funny. I'll post it. It is that funny. All right, what do you got for a question? All right. Uh, what was the biggest story of the weekend? We had a three-day weekend. What was the biggest story? Um, I put three up. Biden visits Ukraine. Uh, Jimmy Carter, hospice. Uh, ten mass shootings in three days. So those are three. Uh, you know, I think probably the Biden thing. I mean, I Me don't too. think anybody expected him to go there. And yeah. uh, it's pretty gutsy. I mean, um, I heard he, I, I heard they called Russia and said, listen, the Biden's going to be there. That's kind of like if you're Russia, you're like, okay, what do I do? Do I don't mess around? Well, don't mess around, or do I try and take him out? I mean, you never know with Putin. So, yeah, Yeah. uh, that'd probably be my number one. Great question, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, wear that. Do you have a different suit you're wearing tonight? (laughs) I'm wearing a different shirt and tie, same suit. Good job. All right, all right. I'll I'll check you out and see how I'll grade you tomorrow. I'll grade your performance. (laughs) Thanks, Gatos. All right, I'll see you. The Big Q poll question today brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. We're going to talk about the difference between President Biden and Senator Biden next.